This is Inside Berkeley. I'm Kim Ashton. On this special edition of Inside Berkeley, the Burns' Tony Brown talks with bassist, vocalist, Grammy winner, and Berkeley alumna Esperanza Spalding, who called into the studio from New York. In this, the first of a two-part interview, the two chat about how in Emily's D-plus evolution, Spalding's latest critically acclaimed album, she opens a creative vent that's been blocked and gives an unheard part of herself free expression. She also talks about the song Unconditional Love and how it came about, and about how she defines or doesn't define herself. Let's take a listen. Your last record re- release, um, Emily's D Plus Evolution, was hailed as one of the best releases of 2016. And it, uh, from what I've read, it was a, a amalgamation of everything you learned up to that point. And I know it was uh, looking into uh, sort of a character at at points, but I wonder where that character stopped and where you were, because there are some, a couple of the songs uh, that I really love, Rest and Pleasure, especially in Unconditional Love, that seemed like you were writing from really a personal perspective. Uh Yeah, of course. I mean, so I think of it less as like becoming another character and more like letting this character in. Hmm. So I, as I experience Emily in me, it's like the part of myself that didn't have a space to play and to be in charge sometimes. So it, it really feels like I, I, I have this visual of a, a volcano and the function of a volcano is to open up a vent that's been blocked, it's to burst it open and bring what's been inside under the surface the whole time. It's like, you know, churning in the center of the earth that allows everything on the surface to exist. I mean, we, we, we what would we be without our molten lava core of the planet? Um, it's like allowing more of that to come to the surface in a way that it creates earth rather than like an un, um, uncontrolled explosion that can destroy everything, you know. I've heard teachers speak about little kids that they have this irrepressible energy inside and you can either open a vent for them of creativity or it's going to erupt into destruction. Um, And I think we see that a lot. There's a lot going on inside of all of us. We're very complicated critters. And I felt like there was a lot that I hadn't explored yet that I wanted to explore. And Emily was the vehicle who kind of, who came in and had been in me and came in and uh, arrived to open up that vent and to bring the understanding to my awareness of D plus evolution, which is um, (laughs) the phenomenon of things breaking down so they can be rebuilt or vice versa. You know, sometimes the evolution of your culture, of your family, of your home, of your song, of your poem, of your essay is actually cutting it apart and breaking it down. That's how you can improve it. So I I guess I needed <clears throat> I needed to make room for that inner character to come out and be in charge for a little while. And um, it, it also the the record came at a like a transitional point in your career, it seemed like, because you had um, changed uh, management and agent and things like that. So how did that change 
uh, affect what happened on the record? Well, this was the first project that I had done, except for Junjo, without a label, without an agent, without a manager. So it was, I'm not saying that my managers and agents and labels before were somehow infringing on my work, but it's a really different experience to go and make something and have no idea where it's going to go. Because I made it in 2013 um, and 2014 before I had a manager, <laughs> before I had a label deal. Um, and um, I had just started working with my agent, but not in any way that would have, you know, I didn't have any gigs lined up for the, the project, you know. So it was kind of amazing, actually, to just, work for Emily and work for the music and think only like what, I don't know how that's going to live in real life I don't know what genre's going to be I don't know who's going to pick it up I don't know what label's going to want it or what strategy is but this is what I hear and truthfully that's how I've done all my records but they've always I think other people were, were building the narrative around the project and were building the narrative about around where it lived in like public you know psyche in terms of genre. So this was just really, it was like a quiet creative process, if that makes sense. I mostly wrote it in my house. I mostly worked on it with my fellow musicians in the studio. There, was, there wasn't a producer. Mm-hmm. We were recording it, writing it, etc. Tony Visconti came in after the record was already done to, to like, put the finishing, I don't want to say finishing touches, but first of all, for me, he was an endorser. He gave me confidence to to actually bring this thing out into the public light. <laughs> and he, he's like a magical sound craftsman, so he brought out, you know, put effects on it and, and really did like the sound design of the, of the raw album. Yeah, so uh, about those two songs, just because I, uh, in Unconditional Love especially, the guitar uh, line in that that opens it is so beautiful. Uh, so it, it made me wonder what came first on that and how did that song uh, come into creation. Uh-huh. Oh, that's funny. So, originally, <laughs> okay, Clint Eastwood asked me to, to be in a movie he wanted to make, a remake of A Star is Born. Wow. And then he was like, oh, also, if you want to write some music for it, go ahead. And he's telling me all this stuff that he wanted this one song to be. Like, you know, kind of like this, but the but the love interest is like that, so it should have that element, and like, da-da-da-da-da. But I'm really not good at writing songs for other people's uh, trips, I've learned. <laughs> Apparently, I'm just not very good. I, I want to do it, and I love to do it. It just never seems to be my best work. Lyrics are another story, but the songs. So I've been whittling away at this thing, and it had like a melody, and I had a chorus, and, and it had that melody that's now the chorus of Unconditional Love, and it, like, I could never figure it out. Ugh, it was, like, always forced. Like, Ugh, it sounded too much like that or not enough like this. And he didn't, he wasn't really crazy about it anyway when I sent it to him because it was such a shitty demo, sorry, a crappy demo. And um, th- so it went back on the shelf. And when I was working on Emily's Deepless Evolution, I, I heard myself when I was, um, you know, working as Emily singing that chorus. And I thought, dang, maybe... Maybe now that it's not for anything, maybe now that I'm not trying to squash this idea into the aesthetics of somebody else's, 
you know, agenda or requirements, maybe it'll come out. And it did. And that seems so apropos for the for the song content, too. It's like Emily had to come to say, forget about it. Like, don't worry who it's for. Don't worry. Try to make it perfect. Like, just sing it how you hear it. Mm-hmm. And it happened. And once I stopped forcing it, and I just went in the studio with Matt and Kareem, and I said, okay, guys, like, it was the end of the day. We had tried all the other versions based on the demos that I would made for um, Clint. And um, we just had, like, two hours left. And I was like, okay, no, whatever happens, like, this is going to be the take or it's not going to be on the record. And we sat, like, 30 minutes, and I figured out that little dee-dee-doo, and figured out a little reharm for the verse. And it just came together. And that's, like, the song that everybody likes in the record. Mm-hmm. So thanks, Clint, kind of. And thank you, Emily. <laughs> it's funny how uh, there was inspiration in there that you had to go and find um yeah i had to i had to get that that's like a perfect example to me of d plus evolution like if you're only trying to push it up 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 and out and better and like more better and more perfect and like more according to what the version of being an evolved song is supposed to be you cut yourself off from like half of the potential of progress which also involves letting it go letting it break down say Hell with it, I don't know what the hell it's supposed to be. I'm going to smash this wall because I know it's not working. And now I'm going to build up something with the pieces that actually looks like, you know, the, the natural sort of growth of what this object, entity, sculpture, song wants to be. That had to happen with that song and, and the food sir. Kind of the, the, the proof is in the pudding, I guess. The proof is in the song. So you mentioning the, the possible project with, with Clint Eastwood makes me wonder what happened to that project? Is that something that is going to happen? No, it's not. I don't think... No, it's not going to happen. Okay. I mean, that was just cool. Was, that, that made me think about acting, though. And since then, I've done a bunch of auditions and started studying and practicing. And I'm realizing... That's part of what... I mean, D-plus evolution was about, too, of just realizing that... Um, I don't know what I am. I don't know what I'm called, what kind of artist I am. I don't know if I'm a musician or a poet or a composer or a singer or a bass player. I don't know. Or an actor. I don't know. And it doesn't matter. And it's okay to explore and develop what's true. (laughs) And now it's true that I am an actor and I just love it to death. It feels to me like the concretized, version of improvisation, and I say concretized because there's language, and it's a language that everybody, at least who speaks the tongue that you're acting in, recognizes, there's no abstraction, and you are improvising a reality in this pretend context, and I, (laughs) it just feels like everything I've wanted, and hopefully when you're working with great actors and great directors and you have a great script, that's what, that's what everybody's striving for. Just like in a band, on the bandstand, when you're improvising and it, or interpreting a melody and putting a saying on it, and I, it just it feels like home in a way that actually improvisation felt like home when I found it, and poetry felt like home when I found it, and composition felt like home. So I'm grateful to Clint for activating that curiosity, mm. and it's definitely been a through line on Emily's Z Plus Evolution, and it's uh, absolutely unfolding from here on out. i
That was the Burns Tony Brown with Esperanza Spaulding in the first part of his interview with her. Join us at Inside Berkeley next week for the second half, in which Spaulding talks about her early influences, about upcoming projects, and about what's not on her wish list. This was a special edition of Inside Berkeley. For more podcasts, check out Sounds of Berkeley on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or go to berkeley.edu slash podcasts.